In Session with Dr. Farid Hulaku. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook, to suggest topics or books for the program and uh, to get updates on the show. And also the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my podcast and SoundCloud page. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I begin, I wanted to announce the book of the week again for this week. Uh, it's a very interesting one. It's The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. 27 Psychiatrists and Mental Health Experts Assess a President. Um, there was a gathering in the Yale, uh, it was called the Duty to Warn Conference that happened a few months ago, and then they wrote this book as a result of that conference, um, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. So essentially these psychiatrists and mental health experts talk about Donald Trump, and there is something called the Goldwater Rule in psychiatry and psychology where you are asked as mental health professionals, not to diagnose someone from afar or someone you have not personally assessed yourself. Um, but in this case, the authors feel that, for one, they're not going to necessarily give a full-on diagnosis and they don't label him, but they do make suggestions or describe certain psychological issues that he might have or seems to have characteristics of. And also they talk about dangerousness, not just a diagnosis, but how dangerous he might be to the public and, of course, with the position he has. And uh, they're focusing on the duty to warn that mental health professionals have um, and that they have a duty to warn the public, as they put it. So it's an interesting book. I'm about a third of the way in, but I'll have it done and ready to talk on Monday if anyone wants to join that discussion uh, this coming Monday. And then also wanted to announce that I'll be speaking at an event of the Network of Iranian-American Professionals of Orange County next Thursday, November 2nd. The event is from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Hilton Irvine. Um, I hope you'll join me there. I'll be giving a talk titled Redefining Success, and that's the Network of Iranian-American Professionals of Orange County event next Thursday, November 2nd. Hope to see you there. All right. I wanted to start off today talking about... Um, something that was motivated from a conversation I had just this past week with someone who had survived cancer. And we were talking about how much she had gone through and overcome um, and really everything she had to suffer through in a lot of ways to survive, going through chemo and surgeries and a bunch of other treatments that were incredibly difficult, but of course all of that to keep her alive, which... Uh, she was grateful and I was grateful for that those treatments were available. But it was interesting in talking about her survival and surviving and her even recognizing how close she potentially was to death um, and how strong that drive is to stay alive. It, it struck me that it's interesting that although 
most of us, unless we're suicidal, but pretty much all of us want to live and we don't want to die. We have this strong desire to stay alive and to keep ourselves alive, which is good. But we don't have, in a way, that same desire to make sure we live the life we want to live or we don't waste our time. So we want to make sure we don't die. But then what are we doing with the time that we're given? And I think it's interesting that most of us aren't doing everything we can with it or even doing a lot with what we could possibly do with the time that we're given, but we don't want to lose that time either. So in a way, we'd want to make sure we don't lose life, but we're okay slowly giving it away or gradually not doing much with it. So as much as there is this desire to stay alive, um, in some ways like a life instinct, although maybe the way Freud described it would be a little different, this life instinct to make sure we stay alive and don't die, it's interesting that we don't have this fear of not living. There's a fear of death, but not a fear of not living. And by living, I don't mean actually not dying, but I mean living our life. And that's something I think very important for us to think about and what I wanted to talk about today. Um, many people who experience some type of a close call when it comes to their life, whether it's uh, an accident of some kind or a health scare or a health uh, illness, as the person I was talking about went through, uh, some kind of near-death experience or a feeling of almost dying will often say it gives them this perspective of, I want to take advantage of every moment that I'm now given because I know I can't take them for granted. Not, it's not guaranteed that I have a tomorrow or even the rest of today. We don't know how much we have, so we want to take advantage of what we, the time we have. But I would hope most of us can recognize that too, that although we have not maybe experienced a near-death experience. Of course, we all will die. We don't know when that will be. And it can be sudden, not that we need to be living in fear, but understanding that that is the reality. Life is very fragile and delicate, and it can be taken away from us at any moment. And rather than waiting for that near-death to happen, recognizing that we have this short time here, we don't know how long it will be, and taking advantage of that and living it to the fullest. So this concept of living life and not missing out on what you have is very important. What does that mean to live our life? Well, first and foremost, making sure we're living our life. And by that I mean, am I doing what I want to do for me? Am I living the life I feel is for me? And most of us might think, well, of course I'm doing that. But really, when we take a closer look, we see that, of course, how we live our life and what we choose to do, and very importantly, what we choose not to do, is heavily influenced by things like society, culture, our own personal family, and the people around us. We don't just do whatever we want to do. Sometimes for good reason, we need to be aware of what we're doing and doing doing the right things. But mostly it's doing things or not doing things that we maybe would want to do, that we keep ourselves from doing. So first we have to see, am I living my own life? For example, my career, who is that uh, determined by? Was it really by me? Um, the relationships I have, are they the ones I want to have? Are they the ways I want them to be? And what am I doing with my time? Is it what I want to do or is it because I think other people think I should be doing those things and not doing other things? So am I living my life? And then also, am I living a life that has meaning? And that could be related to that first part. But is there meaning in what I am doing? Joy and pleasure are very important. It's good to feel good and do things that feel good, but that's not something that when you look back on your life, you're going to be 
as happy about or feel as good about, feel as fulfilled as the things that mean something, connecting with people, doing things that help other people, making a contribution to the world in some way. Those are the things that when we look back on our life and whatever amount of time we are given, we're going to be happy that we did or feel good that we did. So we want to make sure we're living a life of meaning, things that matter. And the things that matter, we are becoming more aware or it is more clear what that is. Now, what matters to me might be different than what matters to you. My meaning might be different from your meaning. As Viktor Frankl puts it, um, the question of the meaning of life is not something that we ask of life, but that life asks of us, each individually. My meaning of life might be different than your meaning and purpose for life, but it's up to each and every one of us to find that and make sure we are living that. And when we look at people not living their life, the biggest thing holding us back tends to be fear. Fear of lots of things. One is the fear of leaving the comfort zone. We're doing things that we're used to, things that we know the results more or less how they're going to go, and it feels comfortable and easy, and we don't want to shake that up. So we like to stay in the comfort zone and not rock the boat because that's easiest. But a life lived in the comfort zone is not a fulfilling and meaningful life. It's not one you're going to look back on and be proud of what you did if you always just did what felt comfortable in the moment. So we have to be willing to move out of that comfort zone to to live a life worth living. Another fear is the fear of failure, which is a big one. What if I can't do it? So why should I try? And for many of us, as soon as we think of trying something that maybe excites us or we think would be a big goal, we quickly come up with reasons why we can't do it because we're afraid of trying and not succeeding, of what we consider failing. And we don't want to do that and we avoid that at all costs. But if we avoid failure at all costs, that also means we avoid pushing ourselves, challenging ourselves, and seeing how far we can go. We don't get a chance to see what we can do if we never fail. So although we might think it's good to have never failed and think, look how much of a success I am, um, really, if we're only doing things that we succeed at, that probably means we're not trying hard enough to do anything or trying things that might be out of that comfort zone to see what can happen. And that's a big one for me as I see people who can do so much more than what they're doing with their life. And I think that's actually true of all of us. I shouldn't just say some people who can be doing more. Um, But we're afraid to try. We're afraid to see what we can do. And because of that, we never do it. And it's really sad. And so talking to this with this person gave me that perspective of, wow, you know, we think about, yes, everyone wants to avoid death. If you go to the doctor and they say this treatment will save your life, we don't consider do I want to save my life or not. We want to do it no matter what. So we want to avoid death. We're afraid of death, but we're not as afraid of not living our lives. And I think we need to change that. We should be afraid of wasting our time. Um, And by wasting our time, I'm reminded of some people who think they have to constantly be productive in order to live a a good life. And I have to be doing something and something tangible. That's not what I mean, because a lot of relationships or the things we do in a relationship can't really be tangibly measured or might not have a tangible effect. But it involves spending time together, sharing with each other, uh, being vulnerable and intimate with each other and connecting. And that's not something that we can measure. So by productive or using our time wisely, I don't just mean working and making money or anything like that. Sometimes you need to relax and unwind and just connect with other people. But make sure we're using our time wisely. It's up to us 
how we spend our time. We're given this one life and it's up to us how we choose to use it and up to no one else. And we have to make sure we're the ones that are choosing what we do. We're the ones that are choosing the things that we do and we don't do. And it's up to us to make those decisions. So I'm very grateful for that conversation I had with that individual. I'm very grateful they've survived what they had to go through and that it was a reminder to me that make sure I'm living the life I want to live, um, that I'm almost afraid of wasting the time I have here and make sure I use it wisely. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dabakwi. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Dr. Kolokwi. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Okay. That's better. Thank you. I am a survivor of uh, one of the bad cancer that it mm. happens to the woman, and that is pancreatic cancer, mm. which is really rare that if you survive, you must be one of the luckiest persons. Well, I'm, I'm happy and to hear. I'm happy to hear you're one of the lucky ones. That's good. Yes, yeah. I am one of the luckiest ones. Mm. Obviously, God loves me, and I'm still here. But. Can I can I say something about which I I don't mean to, I mean it's very special what you said. I think God loves everyone, even the ones that don't survive. But I'm glad that you did survive. Yes. The thing is, after, after I got the cancer, I really wanted to look at the life different. Especially, mm-hmm. you know, I saw different people that uh, the minute they find out they have that problem, that cancer, they die in four or five months. Mm. And I'm still alive. And because I was so unlucky in marriage, and uh, I thought, okay, now that I'm alive, I'm going to look at the life different. Especially, I got remarried in 2013, and I got the cancer in 2014. And thank God I'm still alive. But one of the things that it hurts me the most, doctor, is that I have two grandkids from, uh, you know, from my kids from previous marriage. Mm-hmm. And I love those two grandkids so much that. Uh, the problem I have is my uh, my husband. I feel either he has some problem, or he doesn't love them, or he doesn't love me. I I just can't understand it because every time they come to see me, or they want to come over for dinner or lunch with their parents, for sure he has to say something to them. How old are the and kids? One of them is seven and the other one is eight years old. Okay. And the things that it hurts, you know, tells, he tells them it's really hurtful. They cry. I get so, so upset that I want to kill him. 
And I screamed that, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And he tells me, oh, you know, they are dumb. They are stupid. And I want to tell the parents so they can do something about it. Wow. Okay, so that that uh, that gives me an idea. But what does he say to the kids? Like, you're idiots. You're stupid. You're not going to go anywhere. Wow. And you're dumb. Uh, okay, that that's horrible. Those are really bad things. And I'll be honest, it makes me concerned about what kind of husband he is to you. If he can talk that way to them, uh, that's a really bad sign that he, there's not a lot of uh, kindness or compassion there. If that's how he's talking to the kids, telling them seven and eight year olds that they're idiots and they're not going to go anywhere. That's I mean, yeah, and you're right. Does he have problems? Absolutely. I can't imagine his own childhood was was pleasant and that he was treated treated well by his parents. That's I'm really shocked, and I'm I'm not surprised you're upset by that. You know, doctor, he says that he is the only child, and when his kids were seven and eleven, he left them. He never saw them until we got married, and I pushed him to, you know, keep talking to them, invite them because they live in another country. And since we got married, he's doing good with his kids, but. He recently got a grandkid that he didn't see. He's almost two and a half, and he saw him only two or three times. Like, all these uh, three, four years, he just saw him maybe two times because he went back and saw him for two weeks, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And he never misses him, and he never talks about him, but every time he sees my, kid, my grandkids, he always has to say something negative. And to me, not to me, to most of our friends that they saw my grandkids, they are very intelligent. Well, that, <laughs> Let me stop you there because I don't care what the kids are like. You cannot say those things to them. So even if your grandkids were doing bad in school and weren't very smart and were bad kids, if they, you know, the bad in the, the traditional sense, he can never, he should never say those things to them. Just like those things should not be said to any kid and any person that you're an idiot and won't amount to anything shouldn't be said to anyone. So... Um, you don't have to convince me that your grandkids are not worthy of hearing those things or getting those things said to them because no kid deserves that. Uh, and that's not okay. And if you ask me, the first thing that comes to my mind is he just shouldn't see the kids. Don't have them over. You go to their house alone and don't take him with you because he's showing he's he can't handle that. It's not okay what he's saying to them. So why I wouldn't insist on having to have them over um, unless he's not there. I just wanted to know, doctor, because since, uh, you know, they are growing up, because when they were, like, younger, three or four years old, they got married. Mm-hmm. And now they are growing up, and before he was just saying it to their kids when their parents were not around. Now he is so okay with it. When my son is here or my daughter, he doesn't care, and he say it. Like, oh, my God, you're so stupid, and this and that sounds of their parents. And immediately, you know, they say, okay, we are going to go, and they take my grandkids, and they go. So yeah, I that's, just want to yeah. know, with a person like him, what can I do? Well, I mean, I know. Well, I mean if you ask me, like, first of all, like I said a while ago, I'm, I'm concerned about how he treats you because he, he clearly doesn't seem like a person who's going to show a lot of kindness to anyone. So no. I so I don't know Even exactly. Even when I had my cancer, to be honest, yeah. 
husband, no. That's, that's, I mean, I'm sorry to hear that. And that, you know, when you ask me, what can you do with someone like him? Uh, you know, the, the first thought, if, again, based on just what you're saying so far, if we extend that, it's just to, to get away from them. If they're going to be that harsh and mean, okay, just let them be harsh and mean. What are you supposed to do about it? If you tell him what you're saying hurts me or I need this from you or I want this from you and he shows some care and he makes changes, that's one thing. But with these uh -huh. kids, you're saying he doesn't? He doesn't. Actually, he, he does it worse than what he says. Like if you tell them, oh, you're so stupid, next time he adds idiot, stupid, dumb. You know, instead of not saying yeah, it, he adds more stuff to it. Yeah, he, he seems like a very angry man who definitely doesn't like himself very much either. And I, again, I can't see him being nice to you. And that's why I'm cons no, wondering he, why you want to be with him. Selfish yeah, so my, my question is why do you want to be with him? Well, I know that's a good question. This is the Iranian stupid culture that, oh, what happened? The second, first one was bad. How about the second one? The second one is good mm -hmm. because he is so friendly with everyone. But then they are home with my kids and grandkids. That's what he does. Yeah. Well, this is this is that classic example. I'm glad you know. I, I think my guess is you were listening in the first segment, right? Yes. Okay. So in that one, really, what I was trying to make clear is to make sure you're living your life for you. And what you just described is, I want to make sure other people don't think I was stupid or other people think I'm good, even if I'm suffering. I'd prefer that than for me to be feeling good and for other people to think maybe I was stupid or dumb or I made a bad decision or I'm the reason why I've got divorced twice if I'm the, you know, because the second guy was a good guy. So right. you got to ask yourself, who are you living your life for? For yourself or for everyone else to think you're great, even though they don't really even care that much, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they might make a comment here and there, but they're not focused on it. You have to live your life every day. And if you need even extra motivation, look at how he's treating your grandchildren. That's completely unacceptable. And there's like, you're asking me, what can you do with that? He should just never see your grandkids basically ever. If you want oh. my opinion, that's just never what he's doing is emotional or verbal abuse. So are you, if you want to know when that's okay, never. And he's showing, um, no, you know, remorse or no feeling of wanting to change. If anything, as you're saying, he's just escalating and becoming worse. If if you, if he never sees those grandkids, your grandkids again, I think that'd be the best solution. There, you know, there's he's just showing himself, and you can even tell him that just the way you're acting. There's no way I can have my grandkids around you. Oh, you're he not... doesn't care okay. at all. Then why? Then why, then he shouldn't be around. I mean, he he seems like he doesn't care about a lot. And again, that's why I'm saying. Um, I'm concerned about you being with him. I mean, you went through a cancer and it was so painful and you're saying he wasn't even there for you that much. Uh, I'm not sure what your reason is staying for with him other than what you said about people might talk or say something, which I really, really hope you decide is not a good enough reason to, to stay unhappy. Right. Well, thank you so much, Doctor. Every time oh. I talk to you or your dad, you really hmm. make me feel much, much better. But, you know, I'm, well, I'm glad that you're feeling much, much better. And I want yeah. you to feel that. But I also want you to not just feel something, but act on something. You know, think about it. And I'm not saying you for sure have to, to do something. You know, I'm not making the decision for you, of course. But I don't want you to just feel good right now and then go back to life. Recognize what these feelings are telling you, what's going on, and, 
And if you decide to take an action, do it. But I don't want you to call back in two months and say, I'm, I'm down and I'm hoping your the phone call will cheer me up a little bit or put me in a good place um, and then go back to that same same life. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Sure. I really, I you know, I'm sorry you're not, I'm glad you survived the cancer. And as I was saying before, you know, you survived the cancer and you uh, could have lost your life already. Now make the life that you have worth living and a life that you want to live. Yes, thank you. I hope you'll do that. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. So I'm really glad she called with that that question because it it exactly relates to what we were talking about in the previous segment. Um, This idea of living the life we want to live and not the ones that other people uh, think we should live. I actually remember my, my father says often that a lot of people would rather have other people think they are happy even if they themselves are miserable rather than for themselves to be happy and for other people to think they're not living a good life and that seems to be what our our caller is experiencing she's unhappy in in her marriage and is suffering and sees no way out of it because she's not with someone as how she described it who wants to work on the marriage who wants to work on themselves and so things aren't going to get better they're just going to get worse but because of the fear of being twice divorced and the stigma that comes with that, or that people are going to say, because in public this guy is very fun and nice and kind, um, that it somehow will be her fault, or that she's the one who's guilty, or she's the one that can't make it work, or whatever other things they say. But I really hope she does, just like for all of us, that we make the choices that we want for our lives, and not be concerned about other people. As I said to her, people don't even care that much. They might make a comment here and there. They might say something. And even if they care a lot, it's actually because something about their own life is triggering something to care so much about your life. So for us to focus on that means we're losing sight of what really matters, which is living the life for ourselves. So I'm glad she called. Um, and I'm also glad I was able to mention that that kind of talking to children is never okay. There's no reason to ever call a kid stupid or idiot or tell them they're not going to amount to anything. Um, As I said, even to an adult, we don't need to talk to them that way. There's no point, but especially to a kid who's even more vulnerable and affected by those things. um, That's just a sign of someone who wants to just be hurtful and harmful. Uh, He's saying he wants the parents to do something to change them. It doesn't sound like that at all. That type of language, that type of interaction with someone is just to cause hurt and pain. It's not because we want to help someone that we disrespect them and put them down in that way so thank you to that caller wish her all of the best and let's go to another commercial break studio number again is 310-441-0555 you're listening to in session with dr fatty delaqui we'll be right back Back studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, yes. <clears throat> Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for giving me the chance to call. Sure. Thank you for calling. Uh, thank you. I would like to uh, talk a little about my son, and then finally ask. Uh, so you're I can barely hear hi I can barely hear what you're saying 
It's hard to make out what you're saying. Uh, it might. I think it might be your reception because it's a cutting in and out a little bit. If you can talk directly into the speaker, maybe it'll be better. I don't know. Try it. Try again. Yeah, it's still, still not. Yeah, it's still not so good, unfortunately. Yeah, I think if you can, maybe call back. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, hopefully we'll get her back um, on the line. Uh, the sound quality was not very good, and I want to make sure both I and you out there can hear what she's saying. Now, going back to the previous caller um, and this idea of what her husband was saying to her grandkids, because I work with a lot of people, and they they say that sometimes this harsh parenting, they think it works, and to put someone down can motivate them or get them going or even with ourselves we think if we're harder on ourselves that'll motivate us and inspire us to do better even i know a lot of persian parents they come from this philosophy that if you compliment a kid too much or even a little bit it might make them have a big head and they might stop trying so you have to kind of put them down and don't make them feel good about themselves and so we'd rather just put them down and think that's going to motivate them than to reinforce what they're doing or encourage what they're doing. Now, I will say there is something to be said of people who are praising too much what their children are doing. Um, that's at one extreme. What actually can happen is if you praise your kids too much, it can contribute to narcissism. Uh, they found actually in some studies that kids who are praised too much or too little, that was the problem. So for praising our kids too much for every little thing they do, um, over the top and sometimes not genuine praise. By that I mean, you know, they draw a picture and we say, this is the greatest piece of work, work of art ever, and we're going to have to hang this in museums, and everyone has to see this and let me show people. You know, that could be over the top. You can be excited and show appreciation for what the person is doing, but what you want to do is make sure it's reasonable, it's realistic, it's um, close to what's going on. So we have to give realistic praise that's genuine, we don't want to give praise that's over the top um, and not fair or not correct because that's actually not going to be good. So be aware of that. Some parents, I think, nowadays are falling into that ca category, uh, especially sometimes if we are um, we didn't get enough praise ourselves as children, we sometimes compensate and do too much and go to the other extreme. This is something that we see happening in a lot of different ways. If we didn't get enough of something as a kid, we give almost too much of it to our own kids. And this is why we have to work out our own parenting or our own childhood issues before we become parents because we're going to inevitably pass it on to our children. So just something to, to think about and be aware of. Let's see if we have our caller uh, back on the air. Hello, Radio Hamra. Hello. Yes, hi. I'm on the line. Yes, we're on the air. Hi. I have a question regarding sure. uh, what happened to the men that they attracted attracted to the older women. What happened to men that are attracted to older women? What causes it? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, when we look at anything, we we tend I tend not to think of um, saying there's one cause for something. Almost anything we talk about, there can be more than one cause to it. Are you thinking of someone in in particular? Yeah, I have a son that was. Uh, and, you know, I think that he's more attracted to the 
you know, people who are like 10 years older than him. Okay. H- how old is he? He's 30. He's 30. Okay. And you're saying he's dated women that are at least 10 years older than him? Yes. Okay. Have you ever talked to him about that? Yes. Okay. But he doesn't have no answer. I was, I was thinking that maybe I was so controlling that he's, uh, he finds somebody like, like, like somebody who controls him or older than him. Well, well, yeah. Well, sometimes you know, of course, the the first thing when you said, why why would a man be attracted to older women? Just like if when we say with a woman. Attracted to much older men, we're going to see what's their relationship like with that opposite sex parent. Is there something there that that's not going well or didn't go well that they're somehow trying to recreate, trying to find a substitute for um, that parent or something there? So you know that's why I'm glad I, I got to ask you who you're talking about because it could be related to you and your son and the relationship you guys have. I see. Do you consider yourself? You, you brought it up yourself as a controlling mother. I don't think so, but, you know, I mostly made the decision for him most of the time. Yeah. But I'm kind of so guilty on that part. Yeah, you know, what I when I asked you that question, it reminded me of um, there's this cartoon where this therapist is asking this man, do you think your mom was controlling? And then you see the mom is in the background saying, no, he doesn't. So she's basically <laughs> <laughs> answering it for him. So I know it's hard to ask you necessarily if you think you were, were controlling or not, but how would you describe your relationship with your son? You know, I don't think he, um, you know, your dad was always saying that, you know, if your child is scared, he doesn't tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like that now he doesn't open. Um, but, you know, the boys are like, you know, they won't share this, you know, um, these questions with their mom. But he was, you know, he was open before. Well, as a 30-year-old male, you know, he necessarily shouldn't be so telling you everything anyway so you shouldn't be expecting to know the details of his personal you know social and romantic life he should be keeping that a lot of it to himself do you have any other children yes okay how old are they and are they boys or girls boys too but uh, the same thing how old are they five years older five years one one boy older one one Okay. And yeah, they're not very open either. That that's you know, as I said, that's something that can happen especially with male children. You shouldn't expect them to be so open with you. Um but as I was saying before, you can always try to talk to him if he wants to talk to you and if you're concerned, that's the only thing you can do, but as I said, it's possible your relationship with him is contributing to that. You have to think about what could it be about my relationship with him? Um that's making him want to feel this way. Now, sometimes when you're also controlling what that can mean is that the person doesn't have to take a lot of responsibility for their own life, so they want another mom-like figure to take care of them. Uh-huh. Do you think that could be the case with him? Uh, you know, he's such a you know kind guy, and even from the beginning, you know, somebody would bully somebody else. Mm-hmm. He would, uh, you know, he would come, become friends with that, you know, with that person, so nobody could bully him. That's nice. Uh, he, you know, but I think I don't know. He's what he sees in that older lady that, uh, you know, he feels, you know, maybe in the beginning, you know, they don't think that, you know, maybe it's a, just a, um, just a simple friendship. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, you know. He gets stuck and he doesn't want to, you know, break his heart or something. I don't know. Well, has he, he has he been in long-term relationships with, with these women? 
just uh, um, two years, three years. With one person, or are you talking about a couple yeah, different people? With one person, yeah. Okay. Person. So uh, everything we're talking about is based on one relationship? Yes. Okay, so I mean, we don't know if it's necessarily a pattern, if it just happened one time. Um, yeah. And also what matters is what your son is looking for. At 30, he doesn't necessarily have to be looking to get married today or anytime soon, so maybe he doesn't want to get married yet. Do you know what he's looking for? That's what, you know, when they ask, he doesn't share this, you know, with you, mm-hmm. you know, with nobody, you know. I don't know, with me, doesn't, you know, when I ask, you know, he doesn't share. And uh, uh, so I don't know how to, how to approach him or mm-hmm. how to. Well, I understand you wanting to know, but even in the way you talk about it, uh, I'm assuming the way you ask him makes him feel like you want to know to maybe judge or give your input, not just to try to understand him. And so when when we ask someone something, we want them, you know, you're talking about opening up, and you're right. First of all, if if they're afraid to tell us the truth, people are going to lie to us, and that's something that parents should should think about. If, you know, parents say, oh, my kids lie all the time, they should be thinking, well, how hard am I making it for them to tell me the truth? But then also, um, when it comes to him opening up, if someone asks you a question, it's very important for us how we feel, what, where their motivation is. If someone wants to know, for example, I'm not saying this is the case with you, but sometimes you maybe have experienced this. Someone asks you a question and you almost feel the only reason they want to know is because so they can gossip and know the details, right? So you're not going to open up to that person. Or sometimes people ask you something and you feel like they're very judgmental. So as soon as I tell them they're going to judge it or... lecture me or say something back to me that doesn't feel good so I don't want to be open with them so again when you talk about him being open with you it's not just about maybe fear as in he's scared of consequences like you're going to punish him but maybe he's concerned about how you're going to respond are you going to judge and even in the way you're talking to me there's kind of this anxiety that makes me wonder that if he tells you something you might get really anxious or ask a lot more questions or worry about it or say this or don't do that or do this and it just feels like too much so if when you talk to him you come on that strong and you you react too strongly he's going to want to tell you less um, you know, a lot of times I see this with people, for example, they tell their mom or their dad they're feeling a little bit sick and then they their parent freaks out and orders the whole pharmacy to come to the house and doctors and this and goes so crazy <laughs> that the next time the person just says, I'm not going to tell you when I'm sick. What's, it's just too much, right? So you have to be aware of how you're reacting to what you tell him. And it'll take some time because he's 30 years old, so he's used to you being a certain way. Um, but he's not going to open up to you anymore if you ask him too many questions or react too strongly you have to try to allow for a conversation where he can tell you what he's comfortable with and when he tells you it's going to be very important how you respond not to respond too strongly not to ask too many questions not to judge it too much not to say do this don't do this or else he's gonna he's gonna close off even more to you yeah so so so, um I shouldn't ask questions. I should just just give me some hints. Sure. No, I'm not saying, you know, yeah, maybe I should clarify. I'm not saying don't ask questions at all, but don't ask too many questions and see how he responds. If you say, you know, are you dating anyone? And he says, 
Uh, you know, he's really cold about it. Don't ask more questions. Clearly, he doesn't want to talk to you about it. So I say, okay, I just I wanted do. to know. So what I'm saying is you can ask questions, but the thing is you have to pay attention to why you're asking. If you want to connect with him and understand him, that's one thing. But if you're saying, I want to just know because I'm curious and I want to understand so I can tell him what to do, that's the problem, and he's going to feel that. So you can say, hey, how are things going? And he says, oh, it's good, this is happening, and that's happening. You say, okay, nice. I'm glad you know to hear that. But if you have something too much to say back to him, he's not going to say it. So it's not about not asking questions, but it's about making sure you're asking to really listen to him and hear him and connect rather than you want to make sure you tell him something or you're worried he's doing something bad and you have to tell him what to do. Okay. Well, if he's going the wrong way, um, I should keep my shut. My mouth shut. And <laughs> well, I, don't, I didn't say keep your mouth shut, but the thing is, more than likely, you can't make him go whatever you... First of all, the wrong way is already assuming you know the right way, which you don't necessarily know. Um, so, you know, that's and that's what I'm saying. I feel this anxiety when, when you're asking about anything that I can imagine when he tells you something, you're going to have so much of a reaction that he doesn't want to tell you, right? If he says, I'm dating someone, you're, who is she? What happened all those questions, he's not going to want to tell you anymore because he's like, oh my gosh, yeah. my mom's freaking out. So I don't want to tell her. And that's what a lot of um, adult children do. They don't tell their parents about who they're dating. Even maybe they want to, but because they know they're going to react so strongly, they say, I'm going to wait until it's very serious or until you know I have to tell them before I say anything because I don't want to get that crazy reaction from them. So you have to be ready that he says, oh mom, you know, I went on a date last night. Just tell yourself, be calm, don't jump on him don't ask too many questions see what he wants to tell you if you try yeah. to get all the details what do his parents do what do they do how much money do they have what are you know a thousand and one questions he's like okay i'm not gonna tell my mom if i'm even in a relationship because she's gonna freak out so that's what i'm saying it's not don't ask any questions but be aware that when you're asking am i asking really to connect with him and to understand him or is it because of myself do i want to know for me and that's a very different thing do you have any, by the way, any lectures that you had before for dating and uh, how can, you know, Mm. I, I talked about online dating on Monday night. Actually, I talk about dating a lot. It comes up often. Um, are you saying you want him to hear something about dating? Yes. <laughs> so you're trying to control what he knows about dating a little bit, too. No, I, didn't, I, didn't, I keep telling <laughs> that, you know, you have to get rid of the baggages that you guys you know, you have, uh, you know, you... But, okay, but when you say that, tell him, and I realize I've packed a lot of your bags. When you say, I, you know, get rid of the luggage, you have to remind them that you recognize I've caused a lot, as as parents do. I'm not saying it's your fault, like you're a bad mom. But yeah, if you, I tell him to come oh, good. good, tell you him know? I've packed a lot of those bags and I want you to unload I that luggage, yes. Yes, but, you know, um, I wanted, you know, if you have any... You know, like a dad has some lectures on, you know, topics and stuff. But I want him, you know, they don't, not yeah. necessarily. I mean, I, I can't tell him, you. They want, yeah. They want to hear them in English. Sure. I mean, you know, I, I talk about dating a lot on the show. I've done a few seminars in Los Angeles. I don't know if you're in the L.A. area. I'll probably do more on dating and relationships. Um, so maybe he can come to that. But when it comes to unloading baggage or, you know, that we all have, that's not going to happen from just hearing one talk or, you know, that's going to be more from therapy and things that take a longer time. So I, I think therapy is good for everyone, but they have to want to go. 
you can't force them or push them to go. Even if you push them, they won't stay in it. It's like saying, I'm going to force you to go to the gym. Well, the person doesn't have to work out when they're there. So it's the same thing. They have to want to be there. Um, so I hope he'll go just for himself. But like I said, and maybe you've already said that, if you mention that, just say, you know, I know me and your dad, we've created a lot of the, the baggage that you guys have. And I know I can't help you with it, but I hope you get help because you deserve it. Uh, and as I always say, not because you need it, because you deserve it. And you have to leave it to them. You know, you can't, like, you, you packed some of those bags. You can't be the one that unpacks them. You know, he has to want to do that work and do something about it. Thanks yeah. so much. Sure. Thanks Thank for you. calling. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. We'll reach our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. back let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hello uh, hi hi thanks again for taking my call of course thanks for calling um as i said i my question is about my son i have twins uh both of them boys mm -hmm. and they will turn two in two weeks and uh, one of them i found very difficult from the very beginning mm -hmm. uh, strange things like for me uh, was like the, he's uh, picky on food when I started um, with food at the age of at, yeah, four months uh, he spit it out from the very beginning anything containing uh, meat or vegetables mm -hmm. uh, it is still the same and um, um the very difficult thing is that he cries a lot, mm. um, and uh, I always listen to um, uh, your father's um, uh, suggestions that, um, for example, a spoiled child is the one who is not um, heard or listened to mm -hmm. uh, always, and um, uh, yeah, and not to bring the child into the point of crying and let them do whatever it's fine to do. But the problem with him was that he never let me uh, decide. He started requesting with the cry mm -hmm. already. Yeah, you know, what it seems like with and, your... Um, Go ahead, sure. I think we have a little bit of a delay, maybe. But I'll, I'll, what I was thinking was, it seems like you're trying to do what you can to reduce the, you know, him from being very distressed. But your two sons seem like they have a difference in what we can call frustration tolerance. It's a lot of, we can put it in a lot of ways, but that's one way. Um, uh -huh. Where the one, your one son that seems more calm, it's just his disposition is a little bit more calm. Things, in a way, bother him less, or he gets less affected, less agitated. It's like, you know, two people can walk into the same room, and one of them is feeling okay, and the other one is shivering. And it's not really by choice, it's just the way their body is responding 
to the temperature. And with your kids, it seems like the other one that's having the issues with crying more and having difficulties with food, he, he's more, he has issues with just, his temperament is more, uh, he has lower frustration tolerance, and possibly things like anxiety are going to be in his future. You have to be ready for that, that he's going to be a more anxious child. Um, and although they're twins, are, are they identical or fraternal? No, no, they're fraternal. Okay, so you know they're, um, you know, so they're, yeah. they're as as any siblings, they're going to be a little bit different. It seems like they are different, and this is the challenge you're going to have is that um, with all siblings, parents have this issue, but especially with twins, although you want to love them equally, they're going to need different things from you, and as they get older, they're going to start seeing that in your your job. One of the jobs you're going to have to do with your uh, partners to make sure that they feel loved equal, even though this other one might need a little bit more attention in certain ways from you guys. So you have to be ready for that, that the one that's more calm doesn't start to feel neglected because he's getting more attention, the one who is um, a little bit more agitated more easily. And that's going to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, I already noticed it. Yeah, yeah I, I really tried. Uh, but what I want to make sure that is all right or what I can do is that um, this crying thing um, periodically gets worse. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, last month was very difficult with his sleep. He woke up two, three times uh, in the night with crying long, long, mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand for what reason. And I think he also didn't know because he tried to refer to different things. Uh, like wanting to eat in the middle of the night mm -hmm. or I want my daddy or if daddy was there, I want my mommy, mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. And uh, I I moved my uh, uh, sleep place um, to, next to his bed mm -hmm. and I realized that um, he also have dreams, bad dreams, and in his dream he cried mm -hmm. also. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if it was um, too much stress, and yeah, he can cry for. I mean, the longest was one hour and a half, wow. and finally he puked. Hmm. And um, I, I want to know where is the borderline. I mean, that um, I should let him do, for example, what he wants to do, or I should be firm and not letting him. Do, yeah, what he's asking what, for. What kind of? I mean, it uh, depends on what he's asking for. What kind of things are you talking about? Uh, okay, when he gets really picky, he can ask for anything. Even if, for example, I want to change my uh, clothes and he's not satisfied, he cries for that. I mean, not even touching him. Hmm. Uh, or something I want to do and he's not happy with, he can cry even for that. So, so he does he have a, much, He hates um, changes? He wants very much to be cuddled uh -huh. and to stay in the arms, whereas uh -huh. the other one not. Hmm. And, okay, it, I also have a little girl, um, but also they, they are grown up and they are really heavy and it's not possible for me to carry them in my arms walking. How old is the girl? And, for example, I say no to this and um, the girl is nine months exactly. Oh, okay. Well, so that's I mean you have you have your hands full. Um, <laughs> three kids under two. That's really yeah. difficult. You said uh, nine months. Wow. Okay. 
that that's that's hard. Okay, that that's going to be tough. And also, yeah. I mean, for the boys there, it's yeah, already there, it's already hard with twins. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's already hard with twins to not, you know, to take care of them. Then when you have a, on top of that an, a baby, that that's that's a lot. So that, that's going to create stress also on you guys and and the kids too. Um, it seems like your your son. I, I, you know, you have to keep an eye on him because what you're describing is is kind of excessive. It's more on the extreme side. I don't know what else he might be dealing with or what could develop, but you want to keep an eye on that and also with his doctors and let them know what's going on because I, I don't want to even say suggest diagnoses because it could concern you. So just be aware that he could be developing something or he might have something. But it, it just seems like it's it's in him because you're saying from birth he was a little bit different from his twin brother. Whereas their environments were the same, yeah, but he was, was very really different. I could notice from the very early stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so the the question of like, what should you give him or not give him? You know, it's, it's a tough one because we do talk about with parents that if kids are tantruming, you don't want to just give them what they want when they tantrum because that reinforces a tantrum. You know, so we've all either if it's our own kids or seen a kid tantruming in the store because they want the parents to buy something, and a lot of times the parents just they want to basically shut the kid up or they're also embarrassed that the kid is doing this you know all over the ground and making sounds or whatever they're doing and they give the kid what they want but unfortunately that just reinforces the tantrum that okay if i want something i have to just go crazy basically and they'll give me what i want so it, it escalates things with your son it does seem like it's a little bit less in his control like it doesn't seem like he's trying to um get his way he's just really upset does that make you know you obviously are seeing him but just based on what you're told me it seems like he's more just so agitated he can't control himself does it seem that way to you exactly yeah exactly. so that's exactly. so to me that's and a different everything thing everything bothers him i yeah. mean a gentle yeah whatever that he's not feeling he he has a great inertia to a, to a change like he has his sleeping bag on in the morning, mm -hmm. and it takes one hour for me to take this off. He doesn't yeah. want to take it off. Or he comes back from kinder, um, yeah, the kindergarten, and uh, they just started one month ago, and they really love it. Uh, they long for it every day to go there. To preschool? And when they come back, he doesn't want to take the jacket off. Mm. It takes two hours for me to take the clothes off. Was he always that uh, way? He didn't like change? Yeah. Uh, it develops. I mean, I mean uh, no, this is new. This is new. Okay. Um, this is new with changing clothes that I have a big deal. It's a new issue. Okay, but in general with him not liking change, that's new or he always was that way? Uh, no, in general, he uh, finds something to nag about and uh, cry. But, I mean, uh, specifically clothes is uh, a new issue that okay. we have to change. For example, uh, before they also went out every day to play, but it was normal, I mm -hmm. mean, to get them dressed and undressed. It was fine. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing uh, that, you know, he does, like I said yeah. before, there's some... It could just be an anxiety type of a thing going on. What I didn't want to say, and, and again, it's not—it's definitely not a diagnosis. It's just something to think about. Children with autism, they don't like change either. It's very difficult for them to tolerate change. Doesn't mean that's what he has, but that's something to think about. But it just seems that his temperament is very agitated, or he's constantly not feeling very good, and he's 
just the smallest thing could make him feel uncomfortable. It's imagine if, you know, you had like a burn on your skin and anything that touched your skin would make you go, ow, like anything would hurt you. That's kind of how your son just is in general, unfortunately. Just a small thing seems like it can really agitate him. And although, you know, you have to, it's not black or white, but you don't want to recognize that it's not something he's trying to do. So like I said before with the temperature example, if two people walk in a room and someone says, I need a jacket, it's not because they're trying to be difficult. They're just saying they're cold and that's how they feel when they walk in the room. So to keep in mind that even though your other son might not respond in a certain way, um, this son that is more easily agitated, it's not something he's trying to do or something intentional. It's just unfortunately how he reacts or his body reacts to things. And we want to keep that in mind. He might have a harder time also soothing himself. And as they get older, they're supposed to get better at that. But maybe this child will have a harder time calming him down. And that's something you'll want to think about even. Uh, I would even think about doing things like meditation with them when they're young kids. Maybe Not yet. They're probably too young to understand that. But even when they're four or five, you can teach them some basic uh, meditation and mindfulness skills that might help your son calm himself down a little bit better, keep himself more calm. Because it just seems like he's constantly in a state of being agitated and frustrated and, and annoyed. And I, I'm sure that's very difficult on you guys because, um, I mean, when he's crying for an hour and a half and puking, and that that's difficult, of course. So it's going to be a challenge. But we have to accept that this is him. Um, he's not trying to be difficult. If anything, we can have compassion for him and think how hard it must be for him just every day experiencing things in that way. Um, and ex approach it with compassion. So from what I'm hearing with you, from what you said so far, it's not like a child who's trying to get their way or trying to get you to do something. It really seems like he's he, he's agitated constantly. And so I think giving him what he wants is not, not a problem. Now, of course, with the younger daughter and having another brother, um, things like jealousy could be pretty strong between them. You have three kids, uh, you know, under two years old. So... Um, that's something to, to keep in mind that they, you know, there could be some jealousy too, but it just seems like he, he's a kid who's going to be agitated, unfortunately, by many things, and we have to try to accommodate that the best we can. Okay, okay. So your suggestion is that I get in touch with someone uh, and have it under control, I mean, as the time goes by. Ha have what uh, under control? Uh, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or... Well, I mean, I, I think you keep an eye on it, and I would definitely, I'm sure you, you know, you take him to pediatrician, uh, you know, appointments and bring these things up, as I'm sure you have, and talk to them. Yeah. But also, I would, yeah, I would think about, you know, seeing how things develop, and I wouldn't wait at a very young age. You can go take him to make sure it's a psychologist who um, specializes in very young children and has a lot of experience working with them, just to get it, see what their assessment is or ideas, because there could be some things, like I said, developing. At minimum, let's, there's going to be anxiety, seems to be pretty clear. Is it something more like autism and those things? I, I can't tell you. Definitely wouldn't. I'm not saying I want you to think that's what's going on, but I want you to just have like an awareness of those types of things or autism spectrum. Um, and, and maybe something else, even there could be things neurologically or sensory issues. You know, maybe he just feels things in a different way. So I, I think it's worth talking to his doctors about and seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist who can assess him and give you an idea of what might be going on and and take that seriously and then like I said before you know with another girl too another baby that's another challenge but especially when you have twins um, because 
you know, everything should appear to be equal because they're going to be the same age and in the same family. Um, you have to be aware of making sure if this one is going to start needing some special treatment, whether it's actual treatment or just the way you guys are treating him, um, that both of them don't feel somehow either, uh, you know, bad about that situation. Sure, thank you for um, calling. Crystal clear. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's... I hope it's not crystal clear and, because it's it's not so clear. I uh, as I was saying, it's. I know you said crystal clear, which is very nice, but I know it's not a crystal clear situation. It's going to be probably murky for a while. But, uh, you know, best of luck to you guys. No, and, with, just, and with the three little ones, I don't know when you get to sleep, but good luck. No, thanks. I understand. <laughs> okay. Well, it was very nice to talk to you. I wish you guys all no, the best. I just meant that for me, what to do, what is the next step? For me, is crystal clear. Okay, got uh, it. What I should do is clear to me. Oh, good, good. Okay, I'm happy that, to hear that's that. That's what I meant. Yeah. Wish you guys all Thank the you best. So much. Okay, take care. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back. You know, the previous caller got me thinking about this idea of special needs. I mean, also in treating people fairly that we, we hear so much about, especially with kids, but people in general. I think it's worth talking about. So to begin with, as I was talking to her, uh, a, a real challenge that all parents have that have multiple children is to make them all feel loved equally. And the truth of it is actually most parents do have a favorite. If you ask them, they won't want to acknowledge it because they know it's not the right thing to, to do to say, yes, I like my son more than my daughter or vice versa, or I like this kid more than this kid. But most of us do have one. And I think, first of all, it's important for parents to think about that and really look at that. And the first step is to acknowledge it. So if we just deny and say, no, I love all my kids equally, I love all my kids equally, and don't actually take a look at the situation, you might... Avoid the truth, which is maybe you do favor a kid for some reason. Maybe they remind you more like you, or maybe they don't remind you of you. And the one that does remind you of you is a reminder of the things you don't like about yourself. And you might be more cruel to that child. As we can see, I just opened up a small um, portion of the different type of dynamics that can be at play, but it can be very complicated that you might actually be nicer to the kid that's less like you. You might be Nice for the kid that's more likely you might be a bunch of other things, or you might be mean to the child that reminds you of your wife or reminds you of someone else for some reason, and so on and so forth. So we have to take a look at that because we can deny it because we don't want to assume it's true, but that's going to cause a lot of pain. And if we face the reality, we can possibly do something about it and recognize, you know what, I might have a bias towards this child or against this child. Um, I think for most parents, even talking about this makes them feel uncomfortable, which I understand, but I always want to make one of the goals of my show to talk about taboo topics so that we actually 
uh, bring them out and create less suffering because when we keep things taboo, people suffer in silence and your kids could be the ones suffering and paying the price. So every parent has to really think about that. How do I feel about my different children? How uh, do I maybe favor one over the other and how am I showing them love? Um, and the way we show love to our kids at the same time is not going to be the same. If you have one kid who really likes um, playing soccer, then if you say, let's go play soccer for 30 minutes to that kid, that could be the greatest gift you could give them. But if your other kid hates playing soccer and prefers doing some art, well, then telling them I'm going to take you to play soccer because that's how I show love to my kids, well, that's not really the most loving thing you can do. So we tailor our love towards what each child wants. What do they feel best about or what would they feel best about? This is, of course, similar to when we talk about the five love languages, which I focus on the book that talked about love, but I know Dr. Chapman has also written books for parenting as well. But the way you show your love to your kids has to be a way that they feel loved. If you say, well, I love my kids, so I'm going to cook for them, but they say, no, I want to spend time with you, well, then the cooking might not be something they uh, will appreciate. And that was kind of a hint to a lot of Persian parents and grandparents who show their love maybe in one way just by giving food, where maybe your children actually and grandchildren, they need to feel it in different ways and they want to feel loved in different ways. So we have to consider how am I showing love to my kids? Is it something that they feel good about, they internalize, or is it something I think um, is going to make them feel loved? And what could make this more challenging is that we if you have different kids of different ages, you might do something with one kid when they were at that age, and then the next kid comes along and they're at that age, and you do the same thing and they don't like it, or it doesn't work, or it doesn't seem to be going the way you'd like. And we have to remember that each child is an individual. Each one of us is individual, and what we want, what we don't want, what we like and we dislike, what makes us feel loved is going to be unique. It's not going to be exactly the same. So I get this a lot with parents. They say, you know, when my daughter was a teenager, we didn't have this problem. What's going on? And kind of like something's broken with this kid. Well, there's a lot more going on than that. There is maybe this kid needs a different type of love from you. This kid's in a different environment. Your stress might be different. Lots of things can be going on. But to assume that we should do the same thing with each kid and we should expect the same thing from each kid is not the right uh, philosophy of approaching parenting, to think that it's just a simple input and you get the same output. We're talking about a relationship and a dynamic with a child that is a unique individual, and we have to meet the needs and show love in a way that that unique individual feels loved and feels taken care of. So parents, it's a tough one. It's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's very easy to say, love all your kids equally, and no one would disagree with that. But actually executing it is very difficult. And so you have to ask yourself that question. How am I showing love to the different kids? Do they feel loved equally? Because that's a very important thing. Many kids, when they become adults, they'll say, oh, my parents totally favored this one or that one, or even they favored me. They're aware of it. Uh, parents try to hide that feeling or they think they don't have it, but kids will feel it and they'll tell you. They feel it. And as a therapist, all the time people are sitting on the couch in my office telling me about how they felt a sibling was favored and how painful that was to always feel less than, to feel not good enough, to feel that they were less lovable or unlovable 
and another child. So we have to take that seriously. But again, it's not easy for parents. So it's something to talk about even as husband and wife or as parents um, that let's talk about how we're showing love to our kids. Again, we want to just say, oh, we love our kids equally. They know that. We know that. But we know that it's more complicated than that. And although we might be afraid to talk about it, let's talk about it. And we don't want to attack each other and say, I can tell you favor our son more than our daughter, whatever it might be. But we have to be allowed to talk about these things and not take it so personally. Again, most of us do favor a child, whether you want to believe it or not, or whether you want to acknowledge it or not. It is the truth. So we have to to do that. But then now coming to this idea of special needs, a term that gets thrown around a lot. And I think it's good that we are taking note that children and adults, but children have different needs. And because of different things they're dealing with, they might need different things from us, whether it's in school or at home or in general. And we should take note of that. So I think it's a great movement that's taking place um, that we are being more inclusive in our schools and being more accommodating to what the children need in order to receive the education that they need. So this is a great movement in the right direction. But what I think might even be a, a broader perspective is to recognize that every child has quote-unquote special needs. Every kid is unique, and the old way of looking at education as something that one size fits all, that every kid comes into the class, listens to a teacher that's going to input information into their head, and then they have to be able to output that information, that this way of teaching and this way of education is archaic, and the, the research um, that's being done in education shows us that this doesn't work and isn't the way we should be doing things. Really, every child needs their education to be tailored to their specific needs, their specific strengths and weaknesses and who they are. That is the ideal. Now, is it possible to do that all the time, to always make that the case? Well, yes, it's going to be yes and no. We, we can do it, but I know we can't necessarily make it tailored to every kid every single time. But we can have education that allows for kids um, to have an experience that meets their needs much better than what we give them. And so coming back to this idea of special needs, I think it's it's really important. First of all, some people think, well, is it fair to give some kids resources we don't give other kids? And this, in a way, is when we confuse this idea of equal and fair. Um, equal means that everyone gets the same thing. We say it in that way. Some people say, well, it should be equal. So if one kid gets this, all the kids should get this. Or if um, none of the kids, if that kid gets it and no one else does, well, that kid shouldn't get it either. That's equal. But fair means um, something that makes sense, it has to do more with justice, not sameness, but justice. So if we take this example, if you have all the kids in the class and one of the kids can't see the board because they need glasses, well, should we say that kid doesn't get glasses because the other kids don't get glasses? Or should we say all the kids now have to wear glasses to make it fair or to make it equal? It's an equal thing now. No, we say, okay, the child that needs glasses, let him or her have glasses so they can see the board. What we're saying is that it should be fair that everyone can see the board clearly. That's what the equal comes to. Um, but the fairness is making sure that every child gets that. You know, if we take this to an extreme, it's like if someone is choking and you say, well, I don't want to give unequal treatment and give them the Heimlich maneuver, or should I give the Heimlich maneuver to everyone, uh, including them? No, you go give them what they need. And I know that's an extreme example, but it shows us that 
equal is not what we're talking about. We're talking about fairness. We're talking about justice. And so every child should be given that opportunity. And I think we have to be careful not to stigmatize certain kids as special needs, as those are the ones that are problems or more difficult, um, but that every deserve every child deserves to get fair treatment and equal in that sense that they get an equal chance uh, to do what they want to do in school and in life. And that's what we as a society should be doing, is making sure that everyone gets uh, an equal chance in what they're doing. So with our kids, I hope we can recognize that. Um, and really at the end of the day, uh, you know, we have this individualized treatment. It's to treat everyone the same. So everyone is treated in a way that meets their needs and causes them the least pain and suffering. And to me, that's as fair as it gets. Everyone gets what they need. And that's why when I think of it, we all have special needs, even as adults. There's some things you like and don't like, some ways that you learn better than other things, some things that hurt you that might not hurt other people. We're all all special needs, children and adults. Um, so I hope we can move away from stigmatizing that while at the same time continuing what the special needs movement has done in allowing for us to be more aware of the different needs that people have that we're not all a one-size-fits-all type of a thing that can fit in some cookie-cutter shape, that everyone is different, and that's what actually makes us great, and allowing for people to express those differences is what matters most. All right, we've reached our last commercial break of the program. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Good afternoon, Dr. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for giving me the chance to sure. uh, make my point on the air. Thanks for calling. Uh, in, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, in regards to uh, loving uh, our kids or paying attention to our kids different uh, one to the other, I uh, have a similar issue with... Uh, Actually, my siblings, my brother and sister, and you know, uh, which uh, they were making this comment, which I like one child over the other, and uh, they were making the comment about children. you with your kids. Yes. Okay. And uh, I was uh, uh, not agreeing with their comment, and even though that I was behaving and treating the kids different, because. Uh, what uh, we believe is uh, the justice is not only treat uh, uh, different, uh, I mean, with equal people, with an equal system. Mm -hmm. Also, is injustice if we treat equally for different people mm -hmm. uh, with the same thing. Because uh, especially my kids, they were six years apart, and uh, I always was telling my the older one that one was jealous of the little one. I said, okay, so if you want to be a baby, I can come and put diapers on you. Would you want to do that at uh, 
six and a half years old, and they understood. Mm -hmm. Paying different attention or treating the other one different mostly is because of their needs or something they may need it. Mm -hmm. But my main issue that I want to talk about it is when, like, my sister is coming and my brother, they say, oh, no, you like the first one better than the other one. And I was saying, no, it's not. And I do not appreciate what you are coming and commenting in front of the kids. Okay, creating, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, creating this uh, situation to bring them the idea that I am treating them different, which in reality could be. Mm -hmm. But it's not coming that I love one uh, more than the other. It's because one has a different need and different attention. Mm -hmm. So if, if the child has got some psychological or physical issue, definitely need more uh, uh, attention and different attention. Or if it is older, you are spending more money on uh, the older one because the needs are different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the first thing, you know, the thing that jumped out to me the most and I was waiting to hear what you'd say is the fact that they're doing it in front of your kids is really not okay at all. And not you and I think you have the right to tell them that please, you know, even the conversation itself maybe you don't like, but you can let them know that absolutely under no circumstances do you mention anything like that in front of my children because that's not okay. And that's going to be very hurtful to them and harmful. And it puts you in a very weird spot and it just creates a bad situation. So I think under no circumstances is that okay for in front of the kids. Uh, they do that. It could even reflect issues you guys have in your own family. These are your own brothers and sisters we're talking about. So, of course, it, it can reflect things related to who they felt was favored in your own family um, that we can talk about. You know, So there's a lot going on. But that to me is first and foremost. This should never be happening in front of the kids. Um, at all. So I hope you'll, you've told them that and, and make it even more clear that that's never appropriate and never okay. So that, that's one thing. Now, the other part, if they want to bring it up to you, we have to always consider if we're saying it, but of course, even when we're hearing it, what's the person's intention? Is it really, hey, you know what? I'm concerned because I feel like you're favoring this kid over that kid. And I'm worried about how that might affect them. Genuinely, I care about you and I care about those kids. And that's why I'm bringing it up. Or is it said almost like in an insulting way to, to put you down or they have some other intention? Now, I can't tell you what their intention exactly is, but that's something for you to, to think about and look at the situation. What What's going on here? The fact that they say it in front of the kids doesn't give me a good feeling about their intention at all. Because that, that's not someone who's approaching it with any kind of kindness or consideration for the people involved. That's someone who's just trying to say something hurtful or create a problem. Well, uh, okay, on both uh, points which you mentioned, one, that uh, uh, I uh, asked them to not do it in front of Good. the kids mm -hmm. because I can just ignore what they are saying. The kids cannot. Right. And since they repeated that, I minimized uh, my relationship with her to just being nice and mm -hmm. polite. So not going to see them as much as I was to, and uh, not getting involved in things that they do, uh, because I cannot control their behavior, but I could have stopped uh, our uh, meet, meets and mm -hmm. uh, visitations 
uh, if it's not necessarily. Yeah. And the other thing is, which I have asked them, if you are bringing gifts for them, let's say for Eid or Christmas or whatever, mm-hmm. I would expect them to treat them the same. Mm-hmm. And like, do not bring a $500 gift for one and a $10 gift for the other. Because this one, that was for their well-being, which the kids are, oh, my grandma doesn't love me. Hmm. Did that happen? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they do. Yeah, because uh, one is kind of schmoozy and the, my kids, and mm-hmm. the other one is not or uh, gets bored of what grandma says. But still, I don't think uh, grandparents or even myself, I wouldn't make uh, that big of a difference in their uh, gifts. I mean, mm-hmm. if they are getting gifts, pretty much like for birthdays or uh, graduation or anything, I, I would treat them almost the same. It might be a, the value, the dollar value, most of the time is pretty much equal. Mm-hmm. And if they need it, something more, then that's besides the gift. Well, you and know, that, yeah, yeah, you're, and, and yeah, you know, even. We want to make it as equal as possible. It even it goes back to what we were saying before. And I know you're acknowledging this. You don't get them the same gift because, of course, they might like different things. But you do want to make them in the same range of, let's say, value or the thought or how big it is and things like that. We do want to make it that it's not clear there's one that we're favoring over the other. Uh, and I think that's really sad what you're saying. But I think, unfortunately, it's a truth that even parents, but especially grandparents and a family um they pay attention to how much they like the kid or how much the kid interacts with them or how they interact with them. And we have to be aware of this. Or even if you're a teacher, it can happen where, you know, we pick favorites. And when you're a parent, especially, and even a grandparent, you, you're not supposed to be focused on what the kids are giving you. Is the kid giving me a good time? Is the kid giving me love? Is the kid giving me approval? When you're working with a child or interacting with a child, your focus is on them. Yes, you understand that you might have more fun with this one or this one tells you jokes and that's kind of cute and whatever it might be, but your job is to give them love regardless of what they give to you. It's it's supposed to be a one-sided relationship. So, you know, it's sad that they're doing that, but usually to me it means an indication of not even realizing their own childhood needs or have been met or not having them been met, that they're still trying to get them met here with, with the child. So... To me, when you're, if I'm playing with a baby, I'm not thinking, okay, well, is this baby going to be fun for me or do I enjoy it? I'm giving the baby love. I'm doing what they like. I'm doing what he or she feels good about. It's supposed to be very much a one-sided type of a thing. Um, so that's something just to keep in mind. And with your kids, yes, we're supposed to be loving to them no matter what, not because this one likes the things I like more or talks to me more or says more jokes. Those things don't have any or shouldn't have an effect on the way we show them love we can be aware of them but we have to be mindful that the love we show them is the same so that that breaks my heart and i've seen it in so many families if there is a grandkid that's more sociable or funnier or likes to spend more time with them or come gives them more hugs and kisses they get more gifts and treated better and it's really a a horrible thing and we really have to think about what am i doing here am i saying that you being nice to me means I'm going to buy you gifts to a five-year-old or four-year-old. It should have nothing to do with that. And then, uh, unfortunately, I have to bring this heartbreaking issue up. And I would like to see your opinion. 
And what I mentioned about the grandparents, I generalized it. Like my uh, parents, they have about t- uh, 11 grandkids. Mm-hmm. And my, so two of them are mine. But then I would think that if grandparents are, are giving gifts, the 11 pretty much should get the same. Mm-hmm. I understand that one could be a five, the other one could be 30. But it's still five has not reached the point to get a graduation gift. So that's for the 30 years old if he just graduates from college. So, of course, we'll have a different uh, gift. But mm-hmm. I think for Christmas or eight, they should have the same equal uh, treatment. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, well, first of all, when you say 11, that is a lot. That's a lot of gifts to get. But yes, I mean, on the surface, I would say you would want to be equal. And I've seen this happen, too. You know, if, um, for example, grandparents are closer with one of their kids as opposed to another one, those grandkids from the one they like gets better gifts or things like that. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I don't think we should be playing favorites with our kids or our grandkids when you're showing them love. Um, and you know, sometimes, yes, maybe someone lives far apart, so you don't see them as much. So maybe they won't get the same gift possibly, but I think as a grandparent, you should try your best to make sure all your grandkids feel loved equally, just like as a parent, they should too. And especially, um, sometimes it could be very clear and it's shown, you know, if you go to someone's house and then you go to someone else's house, it's not as a parent, but sometimes I've seen families where in front of the other kids, they give one grandkid or one kid something much better and that's that's horrible that again to me is you're, you're expressing something within yourself some um unresolved business or some pains yourself that you're taking out on these kids and that that's horrible that's really bad yeah and i personally for my nieces and nephews it used to be that were two or three of them mm-hmm. so during like eight you know when we are giving chris money to people uh, i would put money uh, on the holy book or whatever book and give them it was like a $50 each mm-hmm. and everybody was getting would pull one but when they grew up the number of them <laughs> so we couldn't do that yeah. now we are doing $10 <laughs> but yeah. still everybody would get the same yeah, I think that, you know, we were talking about sameness with some things like when you're giving money, I think sameness makes sense. When it comes to a gift, yeah, you want to make sure it's a, kid, a gift that the child will like. But I think what, what you're doing makes sense and that's fair and it's something to keep in mind when you're we're, we're treating the kids, we should be treating them fairly. And these things have an effect. You might think, okay, what's the big deal? It's just a, a New Year's present or a Christmas present. But kids really pay attention to these things and especially those things actually mean even more to them than they mean to us, you know. Christmas or other holidays where we give gifts, it's nice, but especially for kids, they get so excited and they remember these things. And so when they see you got my sister something much better than you got me or grandma gave my other, you know, my cousin a way better gift and almost didn't get me a gift, they pay attention to those things and it has an effect. And uh, it's very important for us to, to keep that in mind. But going back to the another part that you brought up, in general, we have to be very aware of the things we talk about in front of the children. Because it's going to affect them, and what your, you know, your brother and sister, what they're doing to me is very much inappropriate and not okay. And I think, you know, first you let them know, look, please don't say anything like that around my kids. If you ever want to have a conversation like that, you and I can have it 
away from the kids, but in no way mention that. And if they don't respect that, then as you did, you can say, well, then I don't want my kids around you because you're not respecting me and respecting them and how you're you're treating them. So I think that's very good. But we have to be aware of what we talk about in front of the kids and parents. And even moms and dads sometimes jokingly will say, who do you love more, mom or dad? And, you know, even you can see videos online of people posting stuff like this. And it might seem cute or funny, but we have to be aware of the consequences and not play too much into these games because clearly in that moment we're looking at our own needs i want to feel special i want to feel good so i want to hear my son or daughter say they love me more than their mom or more than their dad you know that's putting something on the kids that has nothing to do with them that's that's your own issue to deal with so i'm very mindful and i think people should be very mindful of what they talk about around the kids even sometimes we think well the kids won't hear it but they hear it or you know they don't know what we're talking about they're much more aware of what's going on so we have to be very careful of what we talk about in front of the kids thank you very much sure. for uh, clearing uh, these paths difficult paths of uh, living together and raising uh, the kids Yes, it, it definitely it's a t- it's tough, you know. As I was saying before, having different kids and showing them love equally is a challenge for any parent or even grandparent, uncle, or whoever we are in de- working with, you know, dealing with people around us. So it, it's a challenge. So thanks for your call. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye bye. All right. Before I go, um, a few announcements again. The book of the week is the dangerous case of Donald Trump. Um, it's been a very interesting read so far. I hope people will join me in reading that. So it's 27 psychiatrists and mental health experts assess a president. There was a conference, uh, the Duty to Warn conference at Yale that was organized by Dr. Bandy Lee. And that's really where this book came from, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. And then also next Thursday, November 2nd, I'll be speaking at the Uh, event for the Network of Iranian American Professionals of Orange County. I'll be giving a talk titled Redefining Success. So I hope you'll join us next week where I'll give that talk, Redefining Success. It's at the Hilton in Irvine. Um, That's again next Thursday, November 2nd from 6 to 9 p.m. Hope to see you there. And as always, if you have any suggestions for books for the show, let me know. I've actually gotten a few this year that I appreciate people have recommended for me to uh, make books of the week. So please feel free to contact me if you have any of those. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to Fahuda who's been in the studio with me and actually Edris got to start off the show. Um, all the callers out there and the listeners, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulokwi. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.